0: Uh, Thanks, Uncle Roland. Reconnecting, it says. Perfect. Um, Good morning, church. How are you? Good. 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 It's good to see. uh, It's good to be back, actually. Um, It's good to see everyone at church in person. Um, Thank you, Uncle Roland, for the introduction. Uh, It's good to hear that you remember about the robe. (laughs) I was actually just reflecting the other day about um, my first year on the SLT, and I thought I'd share with you guys how encouraging it has been to see the operation of the church at its highest level. It... um, it's all the things that you would expect from you know, the, a board of an organisation. It's, it's governance, it's risk, it's strategy. But it's also family. And it's really encouraging to see that the lifeblood of FGA is reflected through every level. Yeah. Um, at the highest level, it's, it's just as messy as, as regular ministry. You know, everyone has their own uh, strong opinions and different viewpoints and different ways of coming at problems. But just like ministry, it's um, uh, just another opportunity for us to extend grace uh, in the same way that God has extended grace to us. So uh, it's an honor, and it's a privilege to, to be part of the SLT. I look forward to um, all the great things that lie ahead for FGA. Um, I was going to start my message today with a bit of a life update, but what I realized was actually um, there are a lot of people here that I don't know. I actually met uh, Patrick this morning, um, and I said, oh, you need to the church. He's like, oh, kind of. I've been here for a year. And I'm like, oh, a year? Wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, And then I remember that um, last week we interviewed the Archon family, and I, I, I never met them in person before and they've they've been here for a while. Um, So after I realized that, I I, I changed the message a bit to add in a few more things, um, uh, a few more stories about myself so you can get to know me as well as as I preach this message today. Um, Yeah, so for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Michael Ting. Um, Some people call me Mike. Um, back in about 2012, 2013, while I was, I was working at church, uh, Pastor Ruth said, oh, I don't really like the name Mike. Let's come up with a different nickname for you. And the nickname she ended up landing on was Michael Ting. <laughs> so there, there's some segments of the church that will call me by my full name. Apparently, it rolls off the tongue really well. So Mike, Michael Ting, um, that's all good. Um, for those of you who do know me, um, I'm... Still Michael Ting. <laughs> uh, uh, a little bit of a fatter version than the pre-lockdown mic. Uh, I would like to chalk that up to fatherhood um, or lockdown, but more realistically, it's probably because I've eaten too much and not moved as much as I usually do. Last time I spoke was actually two and, uh, two, two years ago. And this was the announcement. It's not a, it's, this is not a new announcement, guys. This was the old announcement, okay? <laughs> um, so the last time I spoke was the end of 2018. This, this was the announcement that, that we made. Maggie was 14 weeks pregnant at the time. Um, obviously, that was a while ago now. And about 25 weeks later, this happened. This is uh, my daughter Amelia, uh, we call her Millie, um, and I'm looking forward to many more years of being able to embarrass her in front of an audience like this. <laughs> I, I actually realised that I um, don't have that many good photos of her. I, 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 t- I tend to take all the photos of her doing silly things, um, but I found a good one. Here she is. Yeah, Um, this was her when she was um, just a couple of months old. Um, I remember I was preaching a message when we first, uh, about five years ago, when we first got Maggie and I first got married. uh, We we got a uh, we just bought a house, and I remember preaching that message and saying, "I feel like an adult now because I've got a house." Little did I know that a house doesn't. Well, I didn't know, but a house doesn't um, wake you up in the middle of the night. Uh, a house doesn't need its nappies changed all the time. Um, and and so when we had Millie, I felt like, oh, we've, we've reached our next level of adulthood. And so that's, that's been, a really, it's been a really good time. Um, and then all the fathers of teenage daughters say, just wait. You just wait. Um, we haven't actually cut her hair yet. So one of the ways that you can tell how old she is, this is a photo that was taken... Um, just uh, a couple of days ago, is by the length of her hair. Um, it's like uh, the rings on the tree, right? <laughs> you, can, you can see the length of the hair, and you, you know how old she is. Um, I actually wanted, if I could, to invite her up, if I can. Is she here? Is she around? Oh, I think she is. Ah. Do you want to come up here, Millie? One... Two, three. Come to daddy. Come. Come. Do you want to say hello? Say hi. No. No, she doesn't want to say hi. Um, This is Amelia. Uh, I actually wanted to share a a little bit of uh, a testimony before I started my message about something that God has taught me um, through fatherhood. One thing that you need to know about me is I don't, um, I don't show a lot of emotion. I am known for having, like, one face. And people can't tell whether I'm joking, um, and sometimes that gets a little bit awkward. Uh, but when Millie was first born, we, we went to, we were at Francis Perry House, and I stayed with Maggie... Um, at Francis Perry for an entire for an entire week uh, but, but there was, there was one point where I needed to go back home to get some stuff and i as I was driving home as I was driving home, I was overwhelmed with emotion um, like the, on, the only time I, the only time I cry like, in real life, is, like, when I'm watching movies. When I'm watching movies, I cry all the time. (laughs) Right? Um, My favorite movie of all time is uh, A Walk to Remember. Anyone else? Yes. You know that scene where Jamie always wants to... has always wanted to be in two places at one time? And then Landon takes her to the state border? Ah. Anyway, (laughs) whenever I feel like, oh, I've got a lot of pent-up emotion, I need to let it go, I watch that movie, and it's just tears everywhere. But in in real life I don't cry that much. But as I was driving home from hospital to get to get some stuff, I found myself overwhelmed at this one thought. And that thought was that I never realized I could love someone this much. You got to remember she looked like this at the time, <laughs> right? So <laughs> and 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 that realization of, how can I love someone this much? It was just inconceivable to me. And one of the things that I realized was I had always known that my parents loved me. I'd always known that they had loved me. But if they had loved me even a fraction as much as I loved this three-day-old baby, for my entire life, I had been underestimating how much they love me, right? And then so I thought to myself, maybe this is like how much God loves us. So much that we can't even comprehend, right? And so that's what I learned on that day. But more recently, about two weeks ago, so Millie's at this stage where she's learning like five words a day. Um, And I, I was holding her, And I said to her, do you love daddy? And she usually only wants to hold me when she wants to go somewhere, right? I'm like her favorite mode of transport. So I'll be holding her, do you love daddy? Wait, let's try it now. I don't know what's... Millie, do you love daddy? Mm, (laughs) No. We've been practicing that all week. She, so when I first asked her, I was carrying her, and I said, do you love daddy? And she goes, yeah, yeah. As in, she wanted to go somewhere, right? She was, she had, she didn't even understand the concept that I was talking about. I think she feels, she feels it. She knows that I'm always here for it. That's why she, you know, she'll come to me and not to other people. Um, But my realization last week was that's actually probably a better picture, Right? of God's love for us, right? It, the, the, more, more the fact that Millie doesn't, can't even comprehend, you know, this, the depth of love. Let alone, once she understands what it is, you know, she, she still is going to underestimate it. And so, you know, I, I thought I'd share that testimony this morning um, because, yeah, God can, is, is always teaching us, isn't he? God is always teaching us new things, through life or through Sunday service or, um, you know, through ministry. Um, everyone want to thank Millie? I can't hold her the entire time. Isn't she adorable? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I mean, she's she's really a miracle, right? Like... Like, I mean, look at me, just genetically speaking, just genetically speaking, how, how, did, that, how did that happen? Only God could do that, right? Yeah, Maggie, <laughs> true. <laughs> so today, before I start our message, I, I just want to pray that God is going to teach us something new today uh, through, through his word. So will you join me in prayer? Father, we want to thank you for um, uh, your word. As we open it today we pray that you also open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to receive it uh, Father we pray that you have new revelations for us today and um, we're looking forward to whatever they are and we we, watch, we just want to commit this message into your hands uh, in Jesus name we pray amen so in this series we've been talking about uh, we've been we've been looking at Galatians we'll be looking at Galatians for the entire year um, the 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 uh, title of the theme is Free at Last. And the question that, that Chris posed to me was, um, this entire theme we should be talking about, what do we do with our freedom? So I thought I would start today by um, by doing a, a little bit of a, well, actually, all of today is going to be a, a little bit of a journey through the, uh, the the book of Galatians. I wanted to start by giving you guys a bit of a, uh, origin story or backstory to how it came about. So we all know Paul, um, who wrote the, the book of Galatians. Paul was uh, formerly Saul. He was um, a Pharisee uh, and, and, and renowned Christian persecutor, um, until one day on the road to Damascus, he encountered the, the risen Jesus, and that turned his entire life around, right? So uh, from, that, from that day forward, uh, he went on to, to become one of the greatest advocates for the church as we know it today. He planted churches everywhere, and he ended up writing um, half, of, half or more of the New Testament. Galatia, which is um, in, in modern-day Turkey, uh, that church was planted during his first missionary journey, about uh, f- 10 to 13 years after uh, he, he first became Christian. Um, and so he went around modern-day Turkey and he planted a bunch of churches. Uh, and about a year later, he found out that there had been a group of people who had come from Jerusalem who, who were Jewish, who were trying to steal his converts right? They were, um, they were going to this, this church and saying, hey, in addition to everything Paul taught you, you need to do a bunch of other things. Um, the, Paul actually refers to them as the circumcision party. I know Chris went out of his way a couple of weeks ago to not mention the body part that gets cut during circumcision. Um, but all I can say is when I read that, I was like, that doesn't sound like any sort of party I want to go to, so the circumcision party comes to, to Galatia and start, um, and start telling all these, all these new believers, in addition to uh, the gospel that Paul taught you, you also need to do a bunch of other things. And they tra- they're trying to bring in some of these old laws that, um, that, the, that the Jewish tradition mandated as part of the Torah. So circumcision was one of those things, but also like the the way that you you, uh, deal with food, um, as well as observing um, particular traditions and holidays. Um, And when Paul found this out, he was concerned, right? I I say concerned, but if you read the book of Galatians, he was like super frustrated and kind of angry, um, we're going to do that now. We're going to read, we're going to read the, first, uh, cu- uh, the first major passage of Galatians. So Galatians 1, 6-9. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. I need to do this so you can see it. (laughs) Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So, Paul here is trying to correct the Galatians, right? Because there are a bunch of people coming in and teaching them a uh, a different theology. And the reason why he was so fervent about it was because actually he was battling for the soul of the early church, right? You've got to remember that at the time, like Jesus... There were many people who claimed to be the Messiah of the Old Testament, right? Um, Jesus wasn't the first to claim to be the Messiah. He was just the first to come back from the dead, right? (laughs) Um, But there were many Jewish sects around. uh, And they all had, like, different observances that they did, different variations on on the the laws of the Torah. Um, And... The reason why Paul was so concerned was because at this early stage of the growth of the church, if they started watering down this idea of God's grace, then it would have just become another Jewish sect, right? So he was really battling for, hey, this is a different thing. This is not the same thing that we've been doing for years and years and years, what he was arguing for was a paradigm shift from grace to law. Because if they had missed the point of the gospel, it would have, the, the early Christian church would have just become another Jewish sect. So I wanted to pause here a little bit and talk about paradigm shifts. Because for the Christians of the early church, it was something they hadn't seen before. We kind of take it for granted because we've had it for about 2,000 years now. Um, And we take this idea of grace as something that we all understand. But at the time, it was something new. It was something different. It required a different way of thinking. It it required a different way or a different approach to believing. Uncle Roland touched on this um, earlier, but... Do you guys remember what you did? What you guys were doing in 2011, ten years ago? Because at that time there was a uh, a trend that was sweeping the world. It was called the robe revolution, and the primary um, advocate for this robe revolution um, was me. And the idea was basically, it, if a robe is so comfortable, why can't you just wear it everywhere you go? Fair question, right? So for a couple of months, I tried doing exactly that. I wore the robe everywhere I went. And there was this one time that I, um, I, I went out to brunch with my friend Brian. Brian. We went to the well in Camberwell. And this was like right in the, the midst of this nano trend of the robe revolution. And so I wore my robe to the well for brunch. Man, the 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 stares I got, like people were like, there's something wrong with this guy. Is he okay? Right? I, when, when we sat down for brunch, I noticed that there was this lady, a couple of... Um, couple of tables over, she was looking at me the entire time. Like, she was just like, what are you doing? Who are you? Right? So, like, the reason I mentioned that is paradigm shifts. Different way of thinking. Now, you may not relate to that. That's okay. Um, I used to date a, uh, uh, an Aussie girl with German background. And... Um, Hopefully you can relate to this 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 uh, this idea of paradigm shift a, a little bit better um, so I, I used to date this uh, this Aussie girl uh, with a German background and um, this one time my dad took us both out for lunch because um, he wanted to get to know her a little bit better he t- he took us to uh, Richmond where we had fur um, and and the lunch went went fine but after the lunch i said I said to Beck do you did you did you enjoy that? Was everything okay? And she goes, Yeah, that it was fine, except it was it was a little bit weird. I said, Well, what exactly was weird about it? And she goes, I've never had noodles with soup before. <laughs> ah, see, now you understand. Paradigm shift, right? Different way of thinking. Um, while I'm on the topic, um, a couple of weeks later, I was invited around to her place for a um, for a specially prepared Asian meal, and it was uh, dim sims and spring rolls. So, I mean, the reason I mention it is because this idea of a different way of thinking, right? Paradigm shift. This was what Paul was trying to... Not exactly that, right? But the the change in thinking is what Paul um, was trying to instill in the Galatians. Um, I went to Bible college... Uh, a few years ago, and my lecturer for New Testament survey uh, read out this difference. That he was, she was talking about this difference between grace and law, um, and it was, uh, it was the only thing I wrote down through my entire Bible course, uh, my Bible college degree, so it must have been pretty impactful for me at the time. She, she said, The law is perfect, which is why imperfect man cannot keep it. The law is holy, That is why sinners are condemned by it. The law condemns the sinner. Grace redeems the sinner. By the law is the knowledge of sin. By grace is redemption from sin. The law says do or do not. But grace says it's all done. The law demands obedience. Grace bestows and gives grace to obey. The law says, continue to be holy. Grace says, it's finished. The law condemns the best man. Grace saves the worst man. The law says, pay what you owe. Grace says, I freely give you all. The law says, the wages of sin is death. Grace says, the gift of God is eternal life. The law puts us under bondage. Grace sets us in the liberty of the sons and daughters of God. This is what Paul was fighting for, right? You can see just through, through, through that comparison that grace is the antithesis of law. There isn't a comfortable cohabitation of the two. This is what Paul was fighting for. Now, we, we take that for granted, that we're saved by grace, not by law. Uh, it should be nothing new to you. Um, but for the Galatians, it was, it was earth-shattering. Then Paul goes on to admonish Paul. Uh, we're going to read Galatians 2, to 16. But when Cephas, who's Peter, oh, sorry, Paul admonishes Peter. Cephas, who is Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, uh, before, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, justified fear, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Um, so we all know Peter, right? Like he's he's he he actually gets a, a lot of hate in Christian circles when when preaching messages because you know he's the one who denied Jesus. He's the one who you know couldn't walk on water because he didn't have enough faith. He was chopping off the guard's ear, right? I actually love Peter because. He's brash, he moves fast, and he breaks things. Um, he's not afraid to act on his faith. And Jesus ends up saying, you know, he's the rock on which you'll build the church. And in the end, he ends up being like the first pope of the church. It was actually in Acts 10 where Peter has this vision of, um, of the the sheet with the animals, uh, where God told him that there was no difference between Jew and Gentiles. And then he goes off to Cornelius' house to preach to the Gentiles, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And so it's this same Peter who, in this passage, um, Paul is admonishing, because because when the circumcision party turn up and say, hey, why are you eating with the Gentiles? He pulls back, and he goes, "Oh, oh, you make a good point, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yet he's the one who, who not that long ago was, was telling the Gentiles, hey, you're all part of God's family now. Why do, you think, why do you think that is? Is it that Peter is really that forgetful? He always needs to be reminded? I think the reason is because... Um, we are all constantly losing the gospel. We're all constantly getting distracted. It's like that picture of me holding Millie, right? And me going, do you love daddy? And she goes, "Dare, dare over there, right? Get me that new car, get me that job, right? Um, and so I think we're constantly losing our focus on the gospel in the way that we live our lives, Hubert talked about it in his mid-set mini-sermon where he was saying, you know, when, when when we came out of lockdown, we had all this freedom, and it was so easy for us to choose to do other things. We're losing our gospel constantly as a church over things like politics, legalism, prosperity, knowledge. Um, Even religion, as in the the religious stuff that we do. But we need to remember, like Peter had to be reminded, that there is only one gospel. There's only one gospel that, there's, there's only one gospel, it's the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that we need to keep coming back to, it's the thing that we need to keep focusing on. And it's the thing that we need to keep reminding ourselves to turn back to. Galatians 4, 8 to 9. Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. When we turn away from the gospel, when we choose something that is not the gospel, that's what we're doing. We're submitting to a yoke of slavery. So what should our response to grace be? Just to be clear, Paul has already made the argument that Um, there's this paradigm shift we need to make away from law towards grace. The question Paul is answering from here on in is what is our appropriate response? What should our response to grace be? Um, It reminds me of when I was growing up, right? And I would do something that displeased my mum. And she'd be like, it's your life, do whatever you want. And you knew that you couldn't do whatever you wanted. <laughs> or, you can choose to do anything you like, except it needs to be either piano or Chinese classes. <laughs> that, it, it, it may seem like that's what he's saying with regards to our response to grace. Um... But that's not what's happening. He's, he, he's not saying, instead of the law, you need to do these things. He's saying, you've been given this grace, and now, what should you do in response to that? You see, it's okay to be things. It's okay to be smart. It's okay to be good-looking. It's okay to be rich. I'm none of those things. It's okay to be those things. But there's a difference between being and being enslaved. The question I have for you today is, what are you chasing after? What are you chasing after? What keeps you up at night? What consumes your thoughts? Does anything get in the way of your task as a Christian? Because the flesh loves worldly desires. The flesh loves worldly desires. It reminds me of this scene from um, a movie, God's Not Dead. And in this scene, uh, Dean Kane. Uh, the one-time Superman from the 90s. Um, he is this uh, well-off businessman. I don't know whether he's a businessman or a lawyer or whatever it is. And he goes to visit his mum his, his who has dementia. And he's sitting there and he, goes, he says to her, I'm the meanest person that I know and I have everything that I want. And you're the nicest person that I've ever met and you have dementia. How do you explain that? And then in this one moment of clarity, in this one moment of clarity, his mom, just talking to no one really, says these words. He said, she says, Sometimes the devil allows people to live a life free of trouble because he doesn't want them turning to God. Sin is like a jail cell, except it's so nice and comfy there that it doesn't seem to be any reason to leave. The door is wide open until one day, time runs out and the cell door slams shut and suddenly it's too late. When we submit ourselves to the yoke of slavery, which is anything but the saving uh, grace of Jesus Christ, then it's like we're choosing to stay in this jail cell. It's nice and comfy, but it's not what saves us. So um, my challenge to you today is are there any paradigms that you need to reset? Are there any areas of your life where you're clinging to things that are not the gospel? Because if there is, then let's do something about it. In Galatians five thirteen to 15, Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one in one word, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So here Paul is talking about what that appropriate response to grace is, and it's to love one another. Um, predictable, because it's all through the Bible, right? Can you imagine what it would have been like if you were a church member in the Church of Galatia? Right? You get this letter and Paul corrects you and says, look, there's only one gospel. It's the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Love one another. What, what would you do then? How do you go about living your life? How do you make the choices that you need to make? Um, I, you know, They didn't have WhatsApp back then. They didn't have email. How do you get in contact with Paul and say, hey, tell me more? Um, I reflected on this question and all I got was we are really lucky to have the Bible. (laughs) We're really lucky to have it. Um, And, you know, there's a reason why it's all bound together and nicely as one book. We're meant to read it together. Uh, But we have within those pages the answer to that question that um, the Church of Galatia would have asked. What do we do with our freedom? So, um, this was the question that Chris had posed to me about this message. What do we do with our freedom? Um, in, previous, in the first week, Chris talked about um, how the choices we make um, are one of many rounds of choices. So we need to continue to choose the things that keep us free. He talked about worldly flesh versus religious flesh. Uncle Roland talked about um, our freedom is for knowing God, for worshipping God, for getting to know him and serving, uh, serving him. Uh, and so today I wanted to uh, give you a little bit of insight from the mind of an engineer. Um, this, is, this is what I would propose we do with our freedom, or how we go about operating within that freedom. So I'm going to move through a couple of uh, different verses, um, should be pretty quick. So in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17, it says... All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. First question you need to ask yourself Does the Bible tell you not to do it? Because if the Bible tells you not to do it, don't do it. I recently finished my MBA, and for whatever reason, most of my lecturers had a degree or PhD in economics. And one of the running jokes throughout the entire degree was there are only two reasons or there there are only two answers that an economist will give. It's either supply or demand, or it depends. And the truth behind that statement is that there's very little that is black and white, Right? There's very little that, you, that, that there, is a, there is a certain answer for, and that's particularly true in the Bible as well. It's not like we turn up one day and we go, you wake up and you go, "Should I not love someone else? Should I commit murder or adultery today?" You don't wake up in the morning and go, "Oh, maybe I should grieve the Holy Spirit. Should I do that?" These are the things that, that the Bible will, will address, like explicitly. Um, So, this component, does the Bible tell you not to do it, uh, actually represents a very small component of our actual lives, right? So, if the Bible doesn't tell you, uh, if the Bible tells you not to do it, don't do it. If not, we turn to John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. So if the Bible tells you not to do it, don't do it. If it doesn't tell you not to do it, then does the Holy Spirit tell you not to do it? Because the Holy Spirit is there to convict us. It's there to correct us. It's there to guide us. From the start of last year, um, through my prayer time, the Spirit was convicting me to start serving um. In a very particular organization, um, and I felt like the spirit wanted me to um, serve in the like at a board level of this organization, um, except I don't have any experience serving on the board of organizations. So I applied for this uh, program, this one-year program where they give you experience working on a board, um, and then hopefully after that, I'd be able to say, hey, look, I've got a bit of experience on the board. Maybe I can help out here. I got rejected from that program. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe it wasn't meant to be. Yet through my prayer time, the spirit kept saying, just do it. Just apply. Like, they need you. Right? I'm like, why would they need me? So I reached out to the CEO of this organisation who I don't know. I don't know anyone who knows him. I reached out to him on LinkedIn and I said, hey, is there something I can do to help you out in the strategic or like, you know, the, the, um, the governance sort of area for your organisation? He messages back and he goes, you should talk to the chair of our board because uh, we're looking to fill a vacancy. Long story short, I can't mention which organization yet because it's not, it's not public, but um, they they themselves were also looking for someone to fill a very particular role. Um, and they had been praying about it as well, and I came along at just the right time. <laughs> and so I ended up being um, being accepted into this board position. Um, the reason I tell you that is because, you know, the, the answers to what we should do are very rarely in the black and white of the Bible. The Holy Spirit is there to guide us, to show us He is God, right? Like, we should be learning to listen to Him. So does the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit tell us not to do it? Because if yes, don't do it, right? So if the Bible tells you not to do it, don't do it. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do it, not to do it, don't do it. If the Holy Spirit doesn't not tell you to do it, then this is the area of freedom, right? I'm going to briefly talk about uh, 1 Corinthians um, 8 to 10. So in the Corinthian church, they are struggling with this idea of um, how do we deal with food for idols. The food has been sacrificed to the idols, can Can they eat this food? Um, Can they eat this food in the presence of young believers? What if young believers give you this food? Do you eat the the food? Do you reject the food? Um, All this talk about food. So we know that when when FGA is talking about food, it's all very biblical. (laughs) So the Corinthians are asking Paul for guidance on this particular issue. What do they do in this situation? The answer ends up being some iteration of love one another. But... Paul, the original economist, also says it depends. See, Paul also gives us some principles. I always tell um, my engineers that principles are better than answers, right? Because answers will give you the solution to one problem, and, but principles will give you solutions to many. So 1 Corinthians eight, 8 to 9, food will not condemn us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-24 All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31-33 So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God give no offence to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So, does the Bible tell you not to do it? If yes, don't do it. If no, does the Holy Spirit tell you not to do it? If yes, don't do it. If no, then... Exercise gospel-centric judgment. And the three things we just read about then in 1 Corinthians. Does it stumble? Does it build up? Does it glorify God? And that's how I, as most engineers, live our lives. Through a complicated series of decision trees. Um, That's all I have for you today. I'm going to release you from the bondage of this sermon. <laughs> I remember um, the first time I preached a message at FGA, it was uh, 2015. And the, message, the main point of that message was don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. And then after the message, um, someone came up to me and said, Oh, I really loved your sermon today. Just do it. And I'm like, that, that wasn't what I was preaching about. <laughs> and it was ironic because the message was about not missing the point. Anyway, since then, I've resigned myself to the fact that God will use my words to convict each one of you differently. So hopefully something that I said today was something that, you want to, that, that the Holy Spirit wants to change in your life, and I just want to pray over that now. Father God, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that um, we can study it, we can live in it, we can um, we can apply it to our lives, uh, and and we want to thank you for um, we want to thank you for the the one gospel, the one gospel that saves us, the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray that you did a work today, that the Holy Spirit is convicting um, convicting us of something that He you want us to change in our lives. We pray that you give us the strength and the courage to um, put our lives under that microscope and figure out what those things are. Those things that we may be clutching onto, um, that we think will save us. Uh, We pray that we are able to shed those things. We pray that we are able to turn back to the gospel constantly and have you remind us that there's only one thing that saves, and it was your son, Jesus Christ. So we want to thank you, um, and we want to uh, commit everything you're doing in our hearts into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Michael.